I'm just going to jump right in, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? It's been a minute. It's been a too long. You, uh-huh. you you emailed me before and you said, hey, hate to break it to you. So I thought that meant you wanted to be on my pod. No, I did want to be on your pod. Of course I do, but I couldn't get out there fast enough. I mean, you, you seem to be in an urgent need to talk. And so my thing was, <laughs> I get to you in like two weeks. I just can't get to you today. And so we had to do it by Zoom. There's so much going on. And I just want to catch up with you because I haven't really talked to you much during the pandemic and I've got some serious questions. All right. Good. Well, you and I have always been on the same page and I've known you for over 20, I want to say 25 years. Crazy. And you've always kind of regulated me as like, Hey Jamie, reel it in, reel it in. I've had some wild ideas and you know, you've dealt with all of us, you all know, right. from me and, you know, crazy town and Andy Dick. So you've, you've always helped all different celebrities. Okay. But my question is, have you jumped a little bit to our side in terms of belief of like, I feel like what is going on with you? Are you not just basic mainstream medicine anymore? I don't know what that means. You mean, am I doing more than just practicing medicine? No, meaning that you seem to be on the side of people that have questioned all of this stuff with COVID. And I thought when I knew you, your stuff was going to be straight by the medical book, but it seems like you've been doing a ton of pushback, which I've been watching and I love. Okay. So uh, I, you got to kind of go through my history with this. Can you mind if I kind of walk you through it? Of course. Right. So, so back in the eighties, okay. The reason I got on radio is because I was deep in the AIDS epidemic. I was treating just tons of AIDS patients. And at the time, one Anthony Fauci was my guiding light and hero, and he was pushing hard on us to get out in the media to educate about AIDS. And I all of a sudden had this opportunity to do radio, and I thought, well, Fauci thinks we should do this. I'm going to do it. And that was one of the reasons I got – those were the two reasons I got involved in radio. I had an opportunity – I was concerned that young people had not heard about AIDS and they had not. I was shocked. First night I went up on the radio, they had no idea what I was talking about and they'd not heard about it. It was crazy. What year was this? The first time I ever heard of AIDS was 1983 in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Well, that was when I started doing radio right about that. And you you're boarded in what in, in the medical community? In internal medicine and addiction medicine. So, so I later started working in a psychiatric hospital, and then I ran, in addition to doing hospital and outpatient general medicine and critical care, I ended up running an addiction treatment program in a psychiatric hospital for 20 years. So that was all kind of going on simultaneously. And so I always had super high regard for Dr. Fauci. And so when the pandemic broke, I could see the hysteria that was being generated. And I thought it was all coming from the press. I was really pissed at the way the press was reporting it. And I made a mistake of using the word hoax. I thought the press was hoaxing people to get eyeballs and to create a hysteria. And I was like, just just settle down. People need to shut up. I kept saying, listen to Fauci, listen to the CDC, just listen to what they tell you and do not listen to all this bullshit. The New York Times editorial board has no business having opinion about how the CDC approaches this pandemic. Just, Just shut up. And that was my, I guess, kept saying that over and over and over again. Well, somebody took clips of what I was saying and left out the CDC and Fauci and all that stuff and made it look like I was saying, this is nothing. It's a zero. Don't worry about it, which I was trying to get people not to worry about it for sure. I wanted, I, I thought I saw the panic coming. I thought the panic 
it's only going to do harm. And I got the infectivity wrong a little bit, and I got the um, the magnitude of, of, of the seriousness in the elderly patients. I mean, in, in at-risk patients, this is serious, it's a shitty illness. Uh, but what I kept saying and the, the comparison I kept making was, and this is, a, this is a bit of a false comparison, but I'll just tell you what I was saying, was that, look, we had just been through a pandemic with H1N1 10 years prior. 300,000 people died, and you don't even know that happened. You weren't even aware it happened, and yet it killed 300,000 people. And so, yes, this one may kill a million people, but do we have to just go jump off bridges because we're so so freaked out by this? I just kept saying, just calm, put it in context of you know what we've been through and try to relax. Well... So no, that was not to be, right? That uh, didn't go well. Yeah, I remember they came for you and I defended you. Well, thank you. And so they came for me and I apologized to the part I did get wrong. There was some stuff I got wrong. And I then signed up to be on the um, the physician sort of uh, response team in New York and California. So I, I volunteered to go work in the ICUs in New York. And I went through the, it was interesting. I went through the interview process and, they were shocked that somebody with just general internal medicine history uh, and training did a lot of critical care. They're, we're not allowed to do that anymore. You have to be a pulmonologist or a cardiologist. I did it for 10 years. I did lots of critical care. So I could help. I knew what to do. And they interviewed me. And then the thing just stopped all of a sudden in New York City. It, would just, it just whoosh, it died down. They, they did not need physicians anymore. If you remember, they set up the Javits Center and the and the uh, emergency you know, Navy ship and everything. They didn't need any of it. It just died down and it was still, you know, percolating along the way we know it did. And it was still nasty, but they didn't have that emergency of need for physicians and whatnot. So, um, so then that I ship started, was never used. You're talking about that big white the ship, ship and the, the Javits center. They set up 500 beds or something in the Javits center too. Okay. Um, the, and the ship was then we had a same ship out here in California. It was also nine. I think we had two patients in and out here or something. But um, so then I started doing a nightly television show on Fox 11 here locally with uh, Alex Michelson. And we were reporting on what was going on with COVID. And, uh, and I, you know, I still had, you know, I, I was on the, I was on the air the night, really just an hour or two after Governor Newsom shut the state down. And I thought, wow, um, this is excessive, uh, but I'm a good citizen. I'm going to support what he's saying. Let's just go along with it. Let's not in any way push back on this. Just it's our obligation. What I kept pushing back on was the mayor of, of uh, Los Angeles, um, uh, Garcetti, kept saying, you must shelter in place. Mass deaths if you don't shelter in place. I kept saying, don't say that. You're going to harm people. There, there's going to be a mental health crisis. You're going to harm people. This would you tell them with as an incoming nuclear weapon. We're not in that situation. Please shut up. He kept doing it, kept doing it. And I was on the air the night that the school board decided to close the schools in Los Angeles. And I was interviewing a guy. We actually have the tape of this now. And I said, look, who told you to do this? Where are you getting the idea that closing the schools is something that's going to be helpful and not harmful? And he said, nobody. We just think it's the right thing to do. No doctors, no public health officials, no infectious disease consultants. We're just closing the schools. Okay, close the schools. Wow. And, and so now we're deep, deep in it. And on the other side, you know, so we go into it for six months and, and I'm supportive and I'm thinking, all right, we, you know, we, we don't know where this is going to go. And let's sort of, 
let's regroup and figure out where we are and uh and then let's move out of this thing especially i kept saying i i had deep faith in the medical profession that we would come up with solutions and we would come up with vaccines and i knew we would i knew we'd come up with treatments and vaccines and things and i thought we would get out of it by the end of summer or something like that well no that's by the end of summer we had vaccines but no 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 we're not going to lighten things up couple things happened. Is you, do you mind me going all the way through this? I don't think I've gone. Of course, dude, you're my hero, but I don't think I've gone through this whole thing with anybody yet. So a couple things happened along the way. I watched the conference that Ron DeSantis had in Florida with Nobel laureates about the history of lockdowns and what, what the evidence was for that sort of thing. And I sit and I la I sit there, I listen to these Nobel laureates and world-class epidemiologists. And they were just like this, this for a respiratory virus makes no sense. It's only going to hurt people, particularly people at risk and low socioeconomic burden, high socioeconomic burden. These people are going to be harmed by this. This, this is we need to protect the the not let it rip. We need to protect the at risk populations, which we did a terrible job of doing the nursing homes and whatnot. And then the mask mandates came and I started looking at that data and I'm like this, this, OK, the, you know, certainly N95 makes some sense to me. Uh, you know, when a when a doctor goes in a patient room with a with a uh, infectious disease that's uh, airborne, you wear a well fitting N95 mask and you do not take it off under any circumstance. But all of a sudden, we're wearing surgical masks with big gaps on the side here, where the virus can easily get in. People wearing the mask below their nose, the 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 um, they're taking it off to eat and drink, which that, that completely negates its efficacy. Then. Uh, a study came out on mass, a so-called Danish study. And all of a sudden there's a lot of excitement. Like we're going to figure out how does mask mandate do? What does it do? Well, all of a sudden I hear the New England journal is not going to publish it. Then I hear the journal of internal Medi uh, addiction, Medi no, the journal of the association of uh, JAMA medical association journal is not going to publish it. And then it gets published in annals of internal medicine. And it's a negative study. It shows it's an excellent study. It shows quite clearly mask mandates, mask, excuse me, mass mask mandates do not work. Not that N95s don't work worn properly, that mask mass mandates do not work. Then there were two subsequent studies, one in Bangladesh, other showed super very clearly. Then there was all kinds of other inferential studies where they go, look, when they wore masks at school, there was less virus in the in the wastewater and stuff. It's like, I, I look, those are not, those are inferential studies. I don't know. All I know is the mechanics of a mask with a, not a, a virus that's come or a bacteria that's on spit. It's aerosolized. It goes 60 feet. It gets into everything and it gets into our nose and it gets into us. Well, none of that was sort of in any way listened to and off we go. And, I, and I'm thinking this is, this is excessive. There's something wrong with this. There's something that just, it's going to hurt people. It's excessive. I don't quite understand what we're doing here. Uh, thank goodness we have, um, uh, vaccines coming and uh, i went looking hard for the mrna vaccine well i couldn't get it why because uh, even though i was taking care of covid patients at the time i didn't fit the right profile for the early distribution which was going to be only in risk parts of the city okay so i was a white male who lived in a certain area therefore could not get the vaccine even though i was caring and, I, and then again, I said, I want to volunteer to work in the ER. There was a COVID tent. And at that time, 
the care of COVID patients was atrocious by my peers. They essentially gave people a, an oxygen monitor, said, go home, come back when you can't breathe. That's insane. I've never seen medicine behave like that, but it came down from on high. Somehow there was administrators and local officials that said, this is how you do it. Just get them out of here. Don't let them infect anybody. This was, this was mortifying to me that we weren't following the patients. We weren't doing anything for them. And then I saw the way people were, were reacting to those that were attempting to come up with early treatments like budesonide or hydroxychloroquine. And by the way, for me just saying the H word, you're going to get dinged by somebody. So Ivermectin. So, yeah. And so I thought, well, what these people just literally, you know, women on the view who just learned how to pronounce the name of the medication had a strong opinion about medicines I'd been using for 25 years, all the time. In fact, yeah. hydroxychloroquine, I, I had just finished a, with this, I do a board review every three years, and I just finished my board review on rheumatology. And I was shocked to see in that board review, hydroxychloroquine was was singled out as the one medicine you can stay on when you're pregnant because it's so safe. It has no side effects. You can stay on Your lupus patients can stay on it when pregnant. I was shocked to see that. So it's like one of the safest medicines in, in the world. Uh, and all of a sudden, people have strong opinions about this medication. I was like, what, what is going on? So that's around the time I just, this constant refrain in my head was, what's going on here? What is happening? What's, what, what, what is, I, I thought it was the press all the way along. I thought the press created the whole thing. I thought people that were non-medical were, had their hands in this and were sort of forcing the behavior of the government in some way. And it was atrocious to me. It was disgusting to me if that was true. Then I started hearing there were other things going on. And at that time, my wife was, we were doing, we were doing a show at that time called The Dose of Dr. Drew, a streaming show. And I looked at it as just me behaving like the French underground. I don't know if you ever saw that show. I felt like I was the French underground, just gathering a group of people there to try to help them make sense of all the shit they were seeing in the press. I just wanted to help them make sense because people were so anxious. We destroyed eight to 15 year olds, Jamie. We destroyed them. They imagine you, you're nine years old and somebody says, the mayor of your city says, hide under your bed, shelter in place. And if you go outside, you're going to kill your parents and your grandparents. You think that's going to help? That's going to end up in a good, and then isolate. You can't talk to other kids. You can't be around other kids. And here, here's an iPad for you uh, where you're going to go to school and uh, don't mind the porn that pops up on that iPad. Nothing you should pay attention to. Uh, it was so damaging to the eight to 15. So a nine-year-old who started maybe coming out at 11, 11 and a half, you're saying they're going to have PTSD beyond for the rest of their depression, life. Depression, anxiety, I know about the rest of their life, but we, we, the depression, anxiety in adolescent and young adulthood is off the chain right now. And then okay. I started, I, I kept looking at the businesses around Disneyland. I kept going, God, all those lives, they've shut Disneyland down. Disney world is open. And they will not let Disneyland open and all those businesses and all those jobs and all those lives, the, the probably 100,000 people just, just destroyed by this. What are they doing? So I was doing this show, this sort of streaming thing where I was just, just going over the data with people. Remember, you know, that guy, John Campbell does the, was doing those videos. You've seen him, this nurse from uh, the UK is a, he's a PhD educator. And maybe, 
he was doing the same thing. He was doing a really good job of just going through the data and sort of looking how things are going and just trying to help people make sense of things. And, 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 uh, and then I got COVID, right. And I got a really bad case. I was, I was really sick. Uh, when I got COVID first what thing, month, uh, Christmas of 2021, right, right across, you know, sick across to 21. So when I, I got it then too. So yeah. right in the beginning of 2022, 2021. Beginning oh, so 20 to 2021. Okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So and, no vax. Uh, you had no vax. I couldn't get the vaccine out. And I actually, I think I got COVID trying to get the vaccine. I was running my ho- around my hospital begging. I was going all over the hospital saying, please let me get this vaccine. And of course, running around the hospital with a surgical mask, I got COVID. Shocking. And so there we go. And by the way, it was one of the most extraordinary experiences for me when I I had signed up for it and, and create, I had a bunch of, you know, I did all the things you're supposed to do to get the vaccine as a, I've been a, a staff member at that hospital for 35 years. I stood at the door. They wouldn't let me in. And then when I came in this like 28 year old dude in a security outfit was screaming at me, where are your papers? And I thought, Oh, this is how this happens. This is how people become prison guards. And I just thought to myself, is this how you, you do you like treating a senior physician like this? this is something you get off on, I guess you, you I, I was really confused. I, I get, I thought, Oh, well, I'm, I'm learning something about people who like this stuff. They like telling people what to do. They like locking people down. They like telling you and you, you run afoul of them and they like punishing you. That's that people should look at themselves if they fit in that category. That is a really seriously problematic way to approach this pandemic if you were part of that crew you should i think the healthy approach would be a little bit like hey what are we doing here we're trying to do our best like you know it's like sort of you know just trying to follow along, trying to get along trying to help people but it was a lot of people got off on this thing and i'd never seen that before that was a shocking uh education for me so i get covid and uh and i'm sick of shit uh and my i remember watching you document it Right. So I documented, here's why I documented it. I was lying. First of all, I, I wanted something positive to come out of it. I thought, you know, I thought if I'm going to lie, I, if I'm going to lie wounded on the field of battle, the rest of you are going to survive. You know, I felt like this, like a little, like a little warrior thing in me. And my physician wisely had heard about monoclonal antibody and got me set up for it. And it immediately immediately changed the course of my illness. It was literally during the infusion, I started feeling better. And I thought, holy shit, these things are free. The government has bought 500,000 doses. It's available to everybody and nobody knows about it. What is wrong with our public health officials that they are not using their platforms in on one hand to scare the shit out of people, but on the other, to educate them how to deal with this illness. Ask your doctor for monoclonal antibody. Talk about the use of steroids. By that point, we knew Decadron had some utility. Talk, you know, don't go home and wait till you can't breathe. There are things to be done. And so that was why I sat in that window still sick of shit doing Instagram lives every night because I thought this was so important. It's one of the it's one of my proudest moments. You may have different feelings about it out there in the world, but I thought it was important to do that. And I'm glad I did it. And it was not easy when I was sick like that. But interestingly, by the way, Jamie, one of the, the craziest things people ask me, though, were you scared? You had COVID. Were you afraid? And I, I thought, dude, there was a 1% fatality group, even in my age group, 1% fatality. 
when a doctor tells you you have a 99% probability of survival, he or she is telling you not to even think about it. Forget not worry about it. Don't even think about it. 99% survival in a 60-year-old with moderate COVID. Uh, and so I, I didn't, didn't even consider that it was a serious, that I would, my life was in danger. It's like ridiculous, especially when I had the monoclonal antibodies and stuff and the steroids and things. And so, so um, after that, uh, I had long COVID and I actually used some fluvoxamine. We now know that fluvoxamine and budesonide, things that were vilified during the pandemic, the Annals of Internal Medicine, the same journal that this, here it is right here, this journal that published the, the, um, the Danish mask study three weeks ago has started publishing really interesting stuff. They are the first journal to start to publish early treatment data and questions about vaccine, how we're doing controls on our vaccine studies. I mean, they are really, the other journals do, you, you, it only goes one way. And the medical literature never all goes one way. Medical literature is a conversation. It's a back and forth trying to trying to approximate the truth, trying to get to the truth. It never goes, it's only good. Look, we still don't know for sure that statins are good. We still don't know that antidepressants are good. There's a back and forth in the literature about that still to this day. Never was there one thing that called into question anything about vaccine therapies, or about utility of early therapies that have been people were trying. It was weird, but now Annals I think has broken the ice on this. So God, good for them. So um, I, when I recover from that, we're doing the streaming show. When I reported, I started reporting more on you know that we should, people monoclonal antibodies go. And it was interesting when uh, even on that very Instagram live, the very first one I did about monoclonal antibodies, people immediately went, "Well, you're special. You can afford it. I go, it's free. It's free. The government has bought this for you. I'm not special. You can get it." And by the way, at that time, Florida started sending around um, vans, a portable. Uh, if you remember, they were selling. They had vans that went around to 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 distribute monoclonal antibodies. That was. I thought that was brilliant. I thought, oh, this is so great. Florida, who is vilified? That's never reported. I've never heard that once. It wow. apps, They and well, it's got worse. When they started doing it, they cut their supply. So I remember that too. Go look up who the. Who is they? The government. I don't know. They they'll they'll deny it. I think, but I, the supply ran out magically because they were using too much or something. Because they were doing it, they were they were doing what you're supposed to do, treating patients with monoclonal antibodies. And then, of course, that story gets a little complicated because, you know, bamlanivimab was the first one, and then it didn't work, and then they had a combo one. Uh, I forget the name of it. Then they okay. right now they have finally another one that's working again. But you know the the virus figures out how to get around these monoclonal antibodies. But may I jump in and just say yeah. one of the first states that performed in was Florida. And uh, can I tell you, completely different than that was reported. Tons of people masked, tons of people vaccinated. I do a lot of vax jokes. A lot of people push back. It ain't exactly. Uh, it's not exactly Orange County Republican, down. right? It's, so it's, it's, a, it's a mix. They were very yeah. safe. The club I went to, Side Splitters, installed that UVA uh, UV light system and yep. a filtration system. Right, complete right. BS. They're amazing. The way, so go oh, ahead. And I'm by sorry. the way, that UV system and the filtration and the HEPA filter and stuff probably did more than the masks, frankly, because mm -hmm. uh, you know I flew a bunch of times during COVID. I never got COVID on a plane, that's for sure, and I ate with my mask off. So so. Um, 
so here we are. So yeah, COVID is a mixed bag. Uh, excuse me, Florida is a mixed bag. And by the way, when you go down, particularly like to South Florida now, do you notice how happy people are? People are so mm-hmm. freaking happy in Florida. It's the weirdest thing. And how unhappy they are here in California. You notice that? Yes. It's making me sad. You wrote something and you said, but something happened. And I wrote down what happened that you were saying. What was happening that you were saying that didn't happen, that you didn't understand? Oh, so, so well, why physicians were behaving the way they were and why yes. we teaching about monoclonal antibodies and why we were using fear tactics, why the public officials were scaring people and why continuing mask mandates when they're in, why six feet distancing? It made no sense to me. Where did that six feet come from? Well, so we start doing the this French underground thing. I kept saying, I'm the French underground. I'm just trying to help you guys. I'm trying to, you know, just, just broadcast <laughs> the world here, you know, from our little our playroom where I am right now. So um, Fauci is not calling me, but well said. Uh, so, and by the way, I, you know, I know he's been adulterated and vilified and all that stuff. I still have immense respect for that guy. And I do believe he will end up on the right side of history one day somehow. I think... I think there's probably a lot more going on than we even know. Like I just heard out recently, people are very concerned about him having funded gain of function research to Peter Daszak. A lot of smoke around he, this guy. Drew. Well, a I, lot of smoke. I'm interviewing a guy in two weeks who is a lawyer and getting FOIA documents. And he has tipped, tipped me off that that whole eco health Alliance thing may not have been a gain of function program so much as a counter espionage operation to keep an eye on what china was doing isn't that interesting because i i said to him wow. i go guy name is tom rents i said tom i cannot think of why we would fund this unless it's some sort of espionage thing he goes i'll give you more in about a month i thought all right stand by so there you go wow. that makes sense right i mean then so he may have other stuff swirling around him fauci that we just don't appreciate right so i i don't know he was so great during the aids pandemic and i and i really took on rfk jr on this who's one of the guys i ended up interviewing on, on my streaming show because he's very down on fauci and i'm like dude he you don't know what it was like man that was the that was that so my illness covid at a, in a 60 year old had a one percent fatality rate all of my AIDS patients had a 100% fatality rate. They were dead. I was telling people they're going to die in six months as a third-year medical student every freaking day. It was a way different pandemic. And I think it affected my generation a little bit. So when this thing came along, we were like, well, at least it's, we've been through something with a 100% fatality rate. That was, that was really dark, terrible. So... Uh, Fauci led us through that. I thought very, very admirably. So when when you had when you had COVID though, because I had it too. I've had it a few times now. Yeah, there yeah. was one day where I felt, ooh, this is it wasn't getting better. Yeah. And then and and I literally, long story boring, is I have a lawyer and he got me to the right doctor, and yeah. within two hours. A delivery was at my house with a very a Molotov cocktail of what you're talking about. Yep. And what you the minute the first pill went down, I felt different. And why and, the f why the f should you have to go to the right doctor? Why couldn't every physician be equipped to manage this illness that we were seeing every day? Think about that. Yeah. Forbidden from using their judgment and improvising the way we always do. The surgeons kept improvising i noticed they, they they are not used to being told what to do the way the the cognitive sciences are the way we are so yeah i'm not surprised by that at all it's really interesting and, and I'm, glad, I, I, I'm glad you did that but i i had two i had two experiences that way too with covid one was god damn this thing just never gets better i see yes 
I can see how these co- how the uh, cytokine thing could get going. Your your immune system just blows a fuse eventually. But the steroids prevented that, and I knew I was on steroids, so I would be fine. And then number two, uh, well, I had a couple things. One, uh, my heart rate, my fever was 102. My heart rate was 60. And I noticed that I went, oh, this thing affects the heart. This thing definitely, mm-hmm. this spike protein affects the heart. I'm, I'm sure of that. And, I got the, got the, the thumb thing, yeah. the finger thing. Yeah, yeah. And my oxygen was always great. But my, there was one time where my heart was 36. Okay. And that was lasting for a couple hours. And I'm like, okay. So, and that was weird. And, but literally my lawyer, I'd say, saved my life. You know, I'm not saying I was going to go, but I definitely felt weird. It, it, yeah, and, it would have been it would have been a more a more significant ordeal. That's for sure. Yes, yeah. yes, but I feel amazing. I've had it at least twice, possibly three times. Yeah, so. I, I had Omicron too, and that was that was nothing. I didn't even know I had it until I got my whole family sick. And, mm. and um, and then I, by the way, I took the JJ vaccine and had a terrible reaction to it. I I had I woke up with a black eye, and the black eye is a sign of a transverse sinus thrombosis, which was the deadly complication of that disease. And I'm looking in the mirror going, oh, shit, I'm going to be the only male to get this thing, to get the, and and just, it passed. Thank God it didn't progress. But uh, I was. I'm going to ask you yeah. about the vaccine a little bit. I want you to finish your thing and then I have questions. about. Right, it. I, I, so here's, so, so these two, my wife and the, our other producer, Caleb. So at this point, the Dr. Drew I know is like, Jamie, you were like all big medicine. You were always, when I would go on Love Line, you would educate me on stuff. And I have my little theories at conspiracy, but it <laughs> yeah. seems like through the pandemic, you've gotten more and more, like you're pushing back. And I'm like, not pushing like, back. I'm pushing back. And Adam I'm really Carolla, not pushing back. one of our heroes in this pandemic. And you, I think you're more aligned with Adam and myself. I believe me and Adam are on the same page here. So I, I am open. I am shocked that I'm open to ideas that I never would have been open to. Before. Exactly. I know where so, you live. I so, know your life. So I'm not, I'm not yard. with you. I'm not with you. I'm <laughs> just open to things that I, I You're just open to it though. Okay. And now here's why I'm open to it. Now I'm going to tell you that part. I, at, at that point, I was not open to it, by the way. At that point, I was just like, why are we behaving like this? Why are we telling people that monocle antibodies? I cannot. Weird. It was weird, and I really thought it was the press. I thought something to do with the press here. This, they, they, these people are out of control. And I, I thought a lot of it was like sort of Trump derangement, too, that if Trump said one thing, they had to do the other. And so, you know, you know, Trump says open up. California has to lock down. So I thought there's got to be something like that. Well, Caleb and Susan put together this show. They produce it. They book it. They get the guest. Your and- son and your wife. Yeah. No, not my son. It. So it's a friend of ours who was my webmaster okay. for many years and is a really – High capable, very capable guy. And um, and my wife comes home one day and she goes, uh, God, I heard this doctor on the radio, this woman, and she is she is on it, man. She doesn't agree. She's not done. She's she's gonna piss you off. She doesn't agree with all your stuff, but man, does she sound competent, know what she's talking about? So she brings this woman onto the show with me, right? And uh turns out she's married to my best friend from medical school, had no idea. Uh and she and I start to go at it a little bit. And she starts telling me, no, 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 no. There's some there's things I know people and I can sh- introduce you to people. We can interview people, show you that there's something really going on here. And by the way, overnight, the show became popular with her and I on it. Like she did just something about the, the yin yang of that got got people going. So, of course, my producers, my wife and my friend are like, oh, this 
sit, sit, sit there, meat puppet. We're going to set this up for you. And so that's, that's how this started going. And in the course of it, I've now, I've now spoken to essentially every high quality academic professional, uh, uh, professor, magazine, you know, medical literature, editorial, uh, directors who were canceled during COVID people at my, to me, the poster child is Jay Bhattacharya, who I'm going to interview on Thursday, by the way, Jay Bhattacharya was a consummate professional, a, a, he's just such a gentleman too. He's such a lovely guy, but he's an epidemiologist. He's a, he's a teacher, you know, he's been a, re, re, awarded across his career by the medical students for his, his, uh, his integrity and his uh, knowledge base and his, his research. That's the guy they cho chose to cancel. And they really went after him. Like re I thought that that's not right. There's something wrong. Why are they canceling that guy? Why not just listening to what he had to say? He ended up being one of the authors of that great Barrington declaration. So the fact that he was associated with that, they had to destroy him. And there's now all these emails showing people like Dr. Fauci saying, get, get him, get him hard. You got to go after him. You got to, you got to destroy him, which is. Fauci did this. It is. It is reprehensible behavior. Now I understand they thought they were doing what was right and necessary for the time and everything. They thought they were doing good, whatever. How would they think that's behavior. doing it right? They thought they were saving lives, helping people. They got, they got crazed. Listen, Dr. Burks went around, Deborah Burks went around and convinced every governor to lock down their states. And she still thinks she's a hero for having done that. I don't see that as a heroic. What I see is physicians who become evangelical. And whenever a physician becomes evangelical, harm is done. That is how we got the opiate pandemic, my friend. A group of pain doctors, I, I give a lecture on this. I actually know the names of these people and I have quotes from them about how they were going to eradicate pain. Americans should never experience a pain ever. And within 10 years, 96% of the Vicodin being prescribed in America in the world was being prescribed in America. That, that was how we got the opiate pandemic was a group of evangelist physicians. I don't mean religious evangelists. I mean, evangelical on their topic. Yes. Just like Deborah Burks was on lockdowns. And I think she did harm. Now she wrote a book where she's still celebrating what a great job she did and how she thinks she was a hero. You can hear the some of the same BS resonating from the doctors that perpetrated the opiate pandemic. So I, I'm very sensitive to these things because I was fighting the opioid crisis. I fought that for 15 years. I saw how it happened. I saw who was doing it. And I was vilified because what these people do in their evangelical pursuits is they capture the regulatory organizations. They get the VA, the California Medical Association, the Joint Commission on Hospital Accreditation, and eventually the professional societies to convince them that the standard of care is as they see it. And with opioids, there was actually no objective data. There was actually nothing to substantiate what they were doing. And lo and behold, isn't that the same thing here? We did all of this, six-foot distancing, locking down healthy people for the first time in history it had been done once in the 11th century during a during a plague in venice and it ended up killing everybody it had never been contemplated so we ended up interviewing all these people and here's what i discovered across all these different interviews across the last year or so a there was something called pandemic inc there was a group of people who of professionals 
thousands of them, who make their living preparing for pandemics. And they had just done war games just prior to the onset of this pandemic. And these people were from all over the world. There was a very cozy relationship with the Chinese professionals there. And they were waiting for this. This was their chance. And even during their war games, never contemplated locking down. But they were in excited about this. And that one of the things that they decided they were going to do formally was use fear to get people to comply with their, their policies. So there's the fear and the hysteria that then the press caught and amplified. So it was actually a policy of fear. So which, you're saying a bit, was it big pharma or is no, it this, this is the public health this this is, consortium. This is the CDC, the state public health officials, the county public NIH. Health the pandemic Inc is one thing, but then there's also this group that was using fear as a policy. And that was our government, our government officials, our public health officials. And I was shocked to find that out. And I was also now started interviewing people that were in the rooms when they were making some of these decisions. Like Paul Alexander was at the white house. Whoop. You there? Nope. I just deleted that. Sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. Yes, sir. Okay. So I, for instance, spoke to Paul Alexander, who was in the room in the White House when they were trying to decide what should we do with this new concept, by the way, called we'll call it social distancing. It was something that had been sort of talked about during the pandemic war games. And they were trying to decide, you know, well, how, how far apart should we task people to maintain themselves? They had all they knew is this was likely an aerosolized viral particle. And those go 30 to 60 feet. But they thought, well, no one will comply with that. Well, what about three feet? May, will that help? I don't know. Six feet. Six feet. They'll do six feet. Six feet was made up out of whole cloth with no evidence. To this day, there's no evidence that six feet does anything. They that, just made that up? That is the kind of capricious shit that was going on, and people don't understand that. It was all so much was completely, forget improvised, just out of thin air, and then executed as though thus saith the Lord. So the man, the masking, the this, all of it was just done. We got to do something. And listen, when I was training residents, the one thing I would punish them for is when they, I would ask them why they took a particular course of action. And they, if their answer was, I had to do something. No, that, that's how you harm people. You, you, you do no harm is our number one objective in medicine. And these people did immense harm. So in a, no, wait, the government doing that, why? Just because they thought it was the right thing or was there something nefarious? No, no, they thought it was the right thing. There was nothing nefarious. It was other than their own hysteria and their own hubris. And uh, and then I don't know if they understood how it would disrupt everybody. And they, you know, I think they thought they were, you know, you hear Fauci say it to this day. I don't I didn't do anything. I was just making recommendations. I think they thought they were making recommendations. And then the local governments and officials took it as the mandate from God. And it was just inappropriate. It was so, so far from how we should have been doing things. So um, anyway, I've spoken out to all kinds of people, including Jay Bhattacharya and, and guys like that. And uh, Peter people, McCullough, Peter McCullough and Robert Malone. So, so then we started getting into the vaccines and concerns about vaccines and stuff too. And so we've had that stuff as well. Uh, when it comes to the vaccine, Jamie, so this is now to, so this is my next question. You vaxxed, are in, you back? Whether I'm in your camp or not. I vaccinate and boost all my patients over the age of 70, all of them. 
uh, and they're all vaxxed and boost, boosted up. I've seen no why, over, why older people because it's clear the benefits there. The benefits are significant in terms of reducing hospitalization and bad outcome. And so even though there might be a risk of the vaccine, the benefits are clear. So I see the risk reward there. I can see the benefits outweigh the risk. And I've seen almost no side effect from it in that population. I saw somebody else say this. So something like my mother, God rest her soul, she had when she was on her last days had something called C. diff, which is a terrible thing that you get in hospitals. And then she beat it. And my brother was like, the fact that mom beat this, she's like stronger than we could think. So I was thinking like if my mother beat C. diff at 88, like how, why would a vaccine help people that are older? Like, I, but you'll have to educate well, the, the younger people. I would never give a vaccine to th this is a, this is a disease that kills old people and, and it kills people okay. with multiple medical problems. And I, that's all I take care of. I, mean, I take care of people that are, have sicknesses and are old. And so the, they're the ones that have interesting medical stuff. And that's what I do. And often people, it's people I've followed for 30 years, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, they, I, I am, uh, I'm using a lot of Paxlovid. I'm using a lot of vaccine therapy in that age group. And, uh, and I'm convinced I'm doing the right thing. So this, it's it clinically been borne out by what I've seen in the medical literature. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.